Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm your host, Logan Howell. With me tonight is David Meyer. As always, David, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Real excited to get into this week of sports events that we have. Jadeveon Clowney signing with the Browns. Julian Edelman retires. Also, we're going to go over some bad calls that have shaken up the MLB so far. But first, we're going to get into our Athlete of the Week. It's the second Tuesday of April, and at the end of this month, the NFL Draft will take place. This month, we will look at the best NFL draft picks of all time. This week's player and our second player of the month is NFL legend Joe Montana. Joe Montana was drafted 82nd overall in the third round of the 1979 NFL Draft from the University of Notre Dame. While at Notre Dame, he won a national championship in 1977. He was also instrumental to the success of the 18-year dynasty of the San Francisco 49ers from the 80s to the 90s. He had a 16-year Hall of Fame career for the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. During his career, he was an 8-time Pro Bowler, 3-time All-Pro, and 2-time MVP. He also earned 3 Super Bowl MVP awards out of the 4 Super Bowls that he won for the 49ers. He was the 1989 Offensive Player of the Year as he set career highs in several statistical categories. When he retired, he had beaten every single NFL team during his tenure and was widely regarded as the greatest quarterback of all time until Tom Brady came and took over that role. This week, we took a look at one of the best NFL draft picks of all time. Next week, we will have a new athlete for you, and be on the lookout for our social media to see if you can guess that player right before next week's show. And now we're going to get right into the NFL here, as it was a pretty busy week for the NFL. One big signing, Jadeveon Clowney, formerly of the Tennessee Titans and the Seattle Seahawks, he gets signed by the Cleveland Browns to a one-year $10 million deal. $8 million of it he will receive with $2 million in incentives of his contract. So the Cleveland Browns, they needed some edge rushers, you could say. Do you think this was a good signing for them? Yeah, I think he's kind of a high-risk, high-reward guy. You might get the Jadavian Clowney we saw really early in his career where he was rushing the pass uh, next to or alongside J.J. Watt, and you had just a phenomenal push up front. And then, you know, he kind of fell off with the Seahawks and then the Titans. So you might get the younger Jadavian Clowney, which is going to be a, a a great signing if you get him at $10 million. If you don't, it's not too big of a deal. It's, you know, it's a little bit of a waste, but he's still going to go out and give you a solid amount of snaps on defense, and he's not going to hurt you. Yeah, the thing with Clowney for me, I do like the signing. And with me for Jadavian Clowney, He's never been a high sack guy. I mean, we look at his highest year, it was nine and a half. He also had a season with nine sacks. But other than that, he only eclipsed six sacks one time, other than those two seasons. So when you look at it, you go, okay, number one overall pick, has never broke 10 sacks in a season. That's not really that impressive. You really have to turn the film on to really know what Shadevion Clowney does well. He's one of the best run-stopping edge defenders in the NFL. And that's really where you see him show up. Especially with the Seattle Seahawks, he was so good against the run for them. And also, when you look at what he does within the game, I look back to his time in Seattle, 
it came in spurts because he was dealing with that core injury, but there was games where he would just absolutely take over, and it was all on him. One game sticks out to me was when the 8-1 Seahawks visited the 8-0 49ers, and Jadavion Clowney absolutely wrecked the game. He gave Mike McGlinchey and Joe Staley problems all night long, had a strip sack, also had a touchdown. He was all over the place, and he single-handedly kept Seattle in that game and limited the 49ers' offense throughout. He has that type of potential game in and game out. Now, will you get that from Jadeveon Clowney? That is what's going to decide if it's a good signing for me or not. He's a very good player when he wants to be. There are games where he is nowhere, nowhere to be found. And just a good example of that was when they tried to win the NFC in Week 17 of 2019. He was nowhere to be found in that game. I don't even know if he touched the stat sheet, to be honest with you. If he did, it was only one or two tackles, no sacks, very little pressure as well. So, it for me, Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator of the Browns, really has to get the most out of Devion Clowney. Can he stay healthy? That's a question we'll get into in a little bit. But when he's on the field, you have to get the most out of him at all times. Because if you don't, it went from a good signing to an average signing, in my opinion. And now, when you look at Jadeveon Clowney, on this Browns defensive line, I think he steps in personally, and he's probably the second best player on that defensive line. They have Miles Garrett, who clearly is the best. Sheldon Richardson, he's a very good defensive tackle as well. Clowney, when healthy, I think is very borderline elite pass rusher. He's very good, um, whether it be in the run, in the pass, like I said earlier. But then after that, you guys have you have guys like Tack McKenley, Olivier Vernon, who in my opinion has just dealt with so many injuries and is not the same guy. Do you think that Jadeveon Clowney starts for the Cleveland Browns? I think it really depends on the type of camp he has. Is he playing well and just is he buying into the defense and really all in on this team? Because, you know, he's had problems in other teams, specifically Houston. Who hasn't had a problem in Houston? Uh, But I think it's really kind of up to him. He has the talent to start across from Miles Garrett, and if he lives up to that potential, he's just going to... This defensive front is going to absolutely destroy games, but it's just, is he going to live up to that potential? I personally think that he will, so I'm going to say he does start. For me, it's so interesting because I think the draft also has a say in what the Browns decide to do. But for me, I think he starts as well, but he's not an every-down guy. So I think he's going to be a guy that you see on first, second down. And sometimes you're going to see him a third-down guy, but I think he becomes more of a rotational pass rusher and more of that run-stopper early on. Because like I said, Jadavion Clowney is not a huge sack number guy. He's decent at getting pressure, but his his game is stopping the run. So I think we could see the Browns possibly go edge in the first round, get a pass rusher they want to develop, and use Clowney as kind of that first and second run stuffer, run stuffer guy and let that rookie pass rusher get some time to really develop him. Mean, it is just a one-year deal, so they're not really betting all in on Clowney. It's just going to be a nice addition if you do get him to play. So for me, I think he starts, but he's not an every-down guy, and I don't know if Jadeveon Clowney can be an every-down guy anymore, to be honest with you. He hasn't proven it the last three years, especially last season. Played very minimal. So, I, I just think he will start, but not every down. 
And that brings me to our next point here is his injury history. It's pretty extensive. Um, last season, injured. The year before that, dealt with the core injury. Then be- the year before that, also dealt with injury. Are you worried about that injury history if you're the Cleveland Browns? I think you have to always be worried about injuries, especially given now the 17-game uh, season. But I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah, he's only played 16 games once in his, what is it, six-year career. But I don't think you necessarily need him to start or to play all 16, well, 17, 17 games this year. He, Like you said, he's probably going to be that kind of rotation piece that you're going to sub out on third downs. And it's not going to kill your defense if he has to take either rest some snaps that you'd like him to play or if he has to sit out a couple games because you want to make sure he's healthy for those big games. It's it's worrisome. You're always worried about injuries, but I don't think it's going to kill the team. Yeah. For me, am I worried about it? Sure, like you said. But a one-year deal... Injury history is kind of out the window on a one-year deal. This is a prove-it deal for Devion Clowney. So you know you're going to try to get the – he's going to try to play his best, and you're going to get the best out of him like we expected to see with the Titans. Obviously, he got hurt. It didn't work out that way. Now he's on another prove-it deal here. So if I'm the Browns, am I worried? Not all that much, all that much because with Clowney, you don't need him. It's a guy that's nice to have, but you don't need Devion Clowney on your defensive line because I still think they go edge in the first round or defense in the first round, but edge rusher very early because that's still a need for them. Yes, adding Clowney makes you a better team, but it's still a need. Clowney is not your answer at edge rusher for this season. So for me, am I worried? Sure. But for the Cleveland Browns, this isn't a huge deal if you don't get Jadeveon Clowney for all 16 games. And I think adding a rookie edge rusher also takes the pressure off of Clowney. Let him work back into it a little bit. He's a guy that's dealt with all these injuries. Let him work back into it and slowly. Don't put him out there week one as your every down guy. Maybe by week 16 you can get that. But I, if I'm the Browns, Clowney's on a snap count at least the first four weeks. He's on a snap count. See how he does with that. And if you think that he can handle a little bit more, then he gets more playing time. So I think that's the best route for them. Bringing in Jadeveon Clowney, though. He, like I said, he's borderline elite pass rusher when he's healthy. He is a very good defensive player. The Browns were really good last season. Are they now the favorites to win the AFC North after this signing? Yes. I, I personally think they're favorites to win the AFC North, but this signing isn't the reason. I think they, I would have picked them in the AFC North anyway. This just gives them a little bit of a boost and it kind of raises them past uh, being close to the other teams. The Bengals probably aren't going to be good. The Steelers, I think, are just going in the wrong direction, and the Ravens just aren't quite there. So I think it's really the Browns' division. They're, They're favorites of mine in the AFC North, so yeah, I'd say they're the favorite to win there. For me, it's so close and it's tough because the Steelers, I do, I agree, they're they're going to fall off a little bit. I don't trust Big Ben anymore. 
The Bengals, like you said, I think they could be a team to watch. I think we're going to see them take a step forward as long as Joe Burrow can stay healthy and maybe they get him a new offensive tackle, maybe they give him a new weapon in Jamar Chase. They have some options there at the top of the draft to help out Joe Burrow on the offense, but they're still a year or two away from really competing within this division because it's a really underrated division. When you look at it last year and put all their win totals together, they had the best win percentage in the NFL in terms of per division. So I think the Ravens, for me, are still the favorite because it's kind of like that thing. It's kind of like that they're the big brother still, and you have to go beat them. You go have to go prove that you can beat them. The first time they played last season, Ravens won 38-6. to Second time the Ravens played, it was 47-42 Ravens win. And in that game, the Browns had several chances to get a stop, put the Ravens away, and win it, and they just couldn't do it. And it was solely on Lamar Jackson that they stayed in that game. And if you if you guys do remember, that was the cramp game where he started cramping up, had to run to the locker room, come back out, and then through the game winning touchdown pass. So for me, it's still the Ravens. They still have a dominant defense, Humphrey, Peters, and they're going to get better within the draft. you got Patrick Queen at linebacker. I am worried. They lost both their edge rushers. But I think that's where they go early on in this draft. There's a lot, not a lot of edge rushers, but in this first round, there's a lot of talent. Once you get past that, then you have question marks. But guys like Jalen Phillips, I think will be there for him, would be a great addition. Aziz Lojuari, he'd be another great addition to that Ravens team. And then also what they have already, Clayus Campbell's one of the better defensive tackles in the league. He dealt with some injuries last year, but I think a full offseason will help him out a lot. So for me, I still think it's the Ravens, but the Browns are so close. They have the ability to take the jump. Now it just rides on the shoulders of Baker Mayfield. Can you outduel a Lamar Jackson to win this division? That's what we have to find out. Can he? Yes. But until I see it, I just have to keep the Ravens as the favorite of that division. And interesting enough that we move in, after talk, me talking about the Ravens, move into Julian Edelman, who was kind of a Raven killer for years for the New England Patriots. Made a lot of big plays against them, especially in the postseason. He retired this week after 11-12 to 12 NFL seasons. And Julian Edelman had a fantastic career. Um, he's always been a slot receiver. I, th- I believe Tom Brady got the most out of him. I don't think he would have been this type of career with anyone else. And a lot of people are having the debate. Is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? And David, that's my question to you. I don't think so. Really the reason why he's why that question is even being asked is because he has three Super Bowl rings with with um because of playing with Tom Brady. It's he's a talented receiver, but He's never even been a pro bowler so or an all-pro at that. So if you don't even make it there, why, why am I supposed to expect you to be in the Hall of Fame? Obviously, those are two different uh, awards, essentially. But if you have to at probably... I would say 99% of Hall of Famers at least have one Pro Bowl in their uh, trophy case. So without that, or without any of those accolades, I don't see him getting into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, for me, it's easy, in my opinion. Julian Edelman's not a Hall of Famer. And Julian Edelman had a fantastic career, don't get me wrong, but not a Hall of Fame career. 
He's a guy that, when you look at his career statistics, he had 620 catches over his career for about 6,800 yards, a little bit over that. Touchdown-wise, had 36 touchdowns. When you see those stats, you take away the name Julian Edelman, you said it wasn't that great. It was a decent NFL career, but not that great. What really the argument is, in my opinion, is his postseason success. One thing that you, you wouldn't think about with him is he has the second most receiving yards by a wide receiver in postseason history. He has a Super Bowl MVP, which is nice. But it's not enough to make you a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. When I look at some receivers not in the Hall of Fame, some guys that come to mind are Andre Risen, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, Chad Johnson. Even Terrell Owens wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he had 153 career touchdowns and over 10,000 total yards. So for me, I think it's pretty easy. He's not. You got also a guy like Sterling Sharp. Sterling Sharp had 595 receptions for 8,000 yards and 65 touchdowns in his career, was an all-pro and a five-time Pro Bowler. He led, he led the league in receiving touchdowns twice and then also was a three-time league leader in receptions. Sterling Sharp didn't have that long of a career and is not in the Hall of Fame yet, but his statistics are by far and away better than Julian Edelman. And no, he doesn't have a Super Bowl MVP but he still had a fantastic career, is not going to be in the Hall of Fame. And if you look at it, you take away Tom Brady, Julian Edelman probably never makes it to those Super Bowls. And that's not a knock on Julian Edelman whatsoever, but you played with Tom Brady, a guy who just won six Super Bowls with the Patriots, and then goes to Tampa Bay and tells Chris Godwin, hey, give me your number because I'll take you to the Super Bowl and win one for you, and then does it. I mean, that, that type of success and confidence, that's not normal. And that's what Tom Brady brought to the league. And Julian Edelman was, in my opinion, he was just a guy that got to get a lot of success from that. You look at other people like Wes Welker. I think Wes Welker was a more skilled player than Julian Edelman. And I also don't think Wes Welker's a Hall of Famer. I think he was a more skilled receiver than Julian Edelman was. So when I look at it, I think it's pretty simple. He's not a Hall of Famer. Great career. has going to have a lot of accolades to go with it, but... He's just not a Hall of Famer, in my opinion, but still a good receiver and Super Bowl MVP. You can't knock him about that. Now, the NFL draft coming up. There's a lot of trade rumors swirling. Teams need quarterbacks. Teams need to move up. There's veterans that need to get moved also. Bleacher Report came out with their NFL draft day trades. Their propositions for each for five teams here to make a move to improve themselves. Me and Dave are going to go through them with a little buy or sell on these trades. The first one we have up is T Teddy Bridgewater gets traded to the Denver Broncos. Do you buy that or are you selling that? I'm going to sell that. Uh, I don't think it, the two sides and their assets that they have, I just don't think they line up. You're not going to trade away Teddy Bridgewater for probably less than a first and I don't think he's worth a first so yeah it, it they just don't really line up and I don't see uh Elway wanting him as a quarterback I think they're gonna try and either draft a quarterback or stick with Drew Locke personally I think they should draft a quarterback but it's obviously gonna depend on how the draft plays out but I just 
I can't picture what the package in return for Teddy Bridgewater is. For me, it's interesting. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to buy this one because I know Denver has been looking into veteran quarterback options a lot, and I just don't know what else they're going to do. All these veteran QBs, you could say, are all off the market by now. Andy Dalton, Cam Newton, Ryan Fitzpatrick. They've all gone to different places, signed somewhere new, and the Broncos are still sitting here needing a veteran presence in that locker room. Sam Darnold, I don't think that makes sense because he's just a young quarterback just like Drew Locke. Teddy Bridgewater is that veteran piece. Now, when it comes to a trade package, it could get interesting. I think Denver, they're picked ninth overall in the first round right now. I think they could get Teddy B for a two and package together some mid to late round picks. Could get that deal done for Bridgewater because the Panthers, I don't think you can really keep Darnold and Teddy Bridgewater, especially after this upcoming season when Sam Darnold's option kicks in. I believe it's like $18 million. 16 $18 million for Darnold's option that they already picked up. You cannot afford to pay $18 million to Teddy Bridgewater, $18 million to Sam Darnold. Now you're in the realm of paying top-tier quarterback money to two below-average QBs at this point in their career. So, for me, a trade would make sense. Now, will Denver do it? I think Denver's end, you have to think about it a little bit more, but they want that veteran presence, and I think Teddy Bridgewater is their last true option without having to draft a quarterback at some point because I don't know if Drew Locke is the answer. So, for me, get Teddy Bridgewater in the building. I think that makes a lot of sense, but I think any veteran QB makes sense for them at this point. There's just not many left. Next trade we have here is the Atlanta Falcons. They make a move back from their number four overall pick. You buying or selling that? I'm going to buy this one. I think they are in a prime position to move back. You have you have some options at four, but if three quarterbacks in a row go off the board, it's Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are pretty much consensus picks for one and two. San Francisco is going to pick a quarterback no matter what, pretty much. So a team that's desperate for a quarterback could definitely want to trade up to number four to pick up whoever is left whether that be Mac Jones or Justin Fields, Trey Lance, whoever. And you can move back a couple spots, maybe to number seven or number eight, and still get... You either want a wide receiver, a tight end in Kyle Pitts, or an offensive tackle, and you can get a very talented piece at seven, eight, even if you want to drop down to somewhere around 10 or 11, you can pick up a tackle or a good wide receiver, and you can get a decent number of picks back. So I am going to buy that. Yeah, this is an interesting for one for me as well. And I'm going to buy the fact that they'd like to trade back for number four because I think that's best-case scenario for the Atlanta Falcons. But I'm going to sell that they actually do move back from the fourth overall. I agree. Moving back to 7 or 8 is the perfect draft plan for them, or maybe even 9 if Denver decides, hey, we want to go a guy like Trey Lance. We didn't think he'd be there. Go up and get him. 
that all makes sense and that would be the most logical move for the Falcons I just don't know if they're going to get the so-called package that they want and if they do move back to seven or eight you do start to worry okay is Kyle Pitts going to be gone because you do have Miami picking at six overall they're going to go some type of offensive weapon whether it be Devontae Smith Jamar Chase if he's still there Kyle Pitts so are you are you comfortable enough with one of those three if you want to go that route or if you want to move back a little bit I think Falcons need defense big time do you want to move back and get a defender now you start you move back let's say to 10 11 you now are in the range of a cornerback um, possibly um, Patrick Sertan Caleb Farley Micah Parsons and even uh, Jeremiah Wasu you have a lot of options at that point so I think that makes sense I just don't think they're going to be able to I think when I look at it they're going to be too afraid that a guy there is going to be let's say they want Kyle Pitts that he won't be there for them and Kyle Pitts in that offense when we do our mock draft I'm going to mock him to Atlanta just because I'd love to see it Julio Jones Kyle Pitts Calvin Ridley what talk about phenomenal offense and then you have Matt Ryan at quarterback who hasn't been necessarily the same guy since his MVP year but still a very successful quarterback in the NFL nonetheless that would be a phenomenal offense and I also I buy the fact that they want to because these Mac Jones rumors that we talked about last uh, last week going to San Francisco we talked about our main point was San Francisco doesn't ever leak anything you never know what's going to happen with them and all of a sudden all these Mac Jones rumors come out wouldn't maybe a team that picks the pick after them that wants to trade back possibly leak out that the least talented of the three quarterbacks is going to be picked at three so that leaves you with the option of fields and lance there at number four overall i'm just throwing it out there i think that's a real possibility i just think uh, at the end of the day people are starting to catch on that hey niners aren't going to take mac jones they're going to take fields or lance so now we're not as willing to trade up with that pick i think they stay there and get a very valuable piece if they do reach on a defensive player it happens but that is the interesting thing about this draft too is I don't think that there's a defensive player, like a consensus top defensive player that's a top three pick. You just really don't have it this year. You look at last year, you had Chase Young, you have Jeff Okuda, you go to the year before that, you have Nick Bosa. And the list goes on as you move back. 2017, Miles Garrett. 2018, Bradley Chubb was a phenomenal pass rusher as well. All top five picks. There just isn't a top five defensive player this year. And that could be because there's going to be a run on quarterbacks. But for me, I don't think there's a top five defensive player. So Atlanta is just kind of in a tough spot. So I'm, I'm still saying I want Kyle Pitts to end up there. That'd be so fun to watch. Next one we have up here, Stephon Gilmore, cornerback for the New England Patriots, gets traded to the Cleveland Browns. Are you buying or selling that? I'm going to sell that one. If you told me, if you pitched this to me before free agency, I would have bought because I did not expect the Pats to be making this much noise in free agency, but they did, and they brought in a lot of pieces, and I think Stefan Gilmore fits pretty well with the additions they've made, and they want to go on a run. They, I believe that they believe they have the possibility for a Super Bowl run, I think it's possible, but you need Stefan Gilmore for that. Unless 
you're getting a lot back from the Browns, including a lot, a couple picks, including the Browns' first round, plus probably a starter in return. And I don't think the Browns are going to want to give that up. Yeah, I'm selling that as well. Um, Cleveland's in dire need of a cornerback. I will agree there. Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams, they just aren't healthy. They don't play a whole lot. And Stephon Gilmore has been pretty consistent in terms of health. Was defensive player of the year, not this last year, but the year before that. He's a phenomenal player. Would the Browns want him? Yes, absolutely. I do believe that the Patriots would be willing to move on from him just in terms of money. He's on the last year of his deal. He's going to be making his cap hit's going to believe I believe it's about 14.8 million is going to be what his cap hit is for next season. So when I look at that and I know what Bill Belichick likes to do, Stefan Gilmore now 30 years old, see you later. That's what Bill Belichick does. I could see them trying to, but I just don't know. Like you said, trade package you'd have to put together there. It's going to have to be a low-end one to a high two if you want Stephon Gilmore and a little bit more for him. His contract is, compared to other cornerbacks, is pretty nice. Only $14 million, but he is on a only have has one year left before his deal expires. There's going to be other teams that are interested, but can they re-sign him? He was a defensive player of the year two years ago. He's going to want big-time money. The Patriots aren't going to pay him that. Will a new team? Possibly, but I don't think it's going to be a contender that's willing to give up a high pick like that. So for me, I don't think he gets traded to the Browns, so I sell that. But Stephon Gilmore, I think there's a real possibility that we see him get moved at some point this around the draft. Just because New England, it's kind of how they roll. You get older, you cost money, we move on from you. We're going to take our first break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we will have two more buy or sell NFL draft day trades. Then we will go ahead and get right into our NFL free agency grades as well. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And we're going to get right back into our NFL draft day trades on our buy or sell. Next one we have up is the Chicago Bears make a move to go up and get a quarterback in this draft. Are you buying or selling that? I'm going to sell that. Uh, the last time the Bears uh, moved up and got a quarterback was Mitchell Trubisky, and I don't I don't want to see that again. I don't want another. I don't want Mitchell Trubisky 2.0. And if if anyone is going to turn into that, I think it's going to be Mac Jones. Uh, yeah, I think where the Bears are, they can still get kind of that later quarterback at 20 if they want to but there are bigger needs on your team you can add to the offensive line you can add depth on defense or possibly talent uh, at a skill position namely wide receiver or you could trade back if you wanted to if you have a specific guy in mind so I don't think they do move up for a quarterback because just their history of first-round misses, especially Ryan Pace, you don't want to risk it in a contract year. For me, I'm going to buy this, but not the fact that they move up in the first round for a quarterback. I'm going to say the second or third round, 
that they move up for a guy, and a, a project type of guy who they think they can come in and have sit behind Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, and learn the system and go that route. They tried that with Trubisky, but he was kind of thrusted right in after Mike Glennon's. I, I don't really know how you describe that start he had. It wasn't great. But they put him into action right away after that uh, off start there. But I think this time they're going to want to try to be successful. And I think they can be successful with Andy Dalton. Necessarily, when you look at it, he's not the worst QB. He's a below average quarterback. But at the same time, in Cincinnati, he was a guy that won games. He got you into the postseason. Getting into the postseason, is that enough to save Nagy and Pace's job? They would really have to sell that this quarterback that they took is enough. I think possibly trading up into, let's say, from the third-round pick up a little bit to mid to early third, a guy like Davis Mills from Stanford, a guy like Kellen Mond, I think both of those are realistic options there moving up in the third round. I don't think first round they can go quarterback. Like you said, needs there's other needs, and addressing quarterback and free agency shows me that they may not want a QB this early, or they just think they might not have the opportunity to get a guy that they want. Next year in free agency, there's going to be some more quarterbacks out there as well. So why not take a chance on a developmental quarterback, see what you get out of him, and if you do like him, he can be your guy in the future. If not, go into free agency next year with guys out there that probably you can get that I think are a little bit better than Andy Dalton. So I like that route for the Bears. Last one we have here is Orlando Brown Jr. Right tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, but he moved over to left tackle this last season after their starting left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, got hurt. Now he wants left tackle money, and they're not going to the Ravens are not going to give him that for playing right tackle with Stanley back after they've already paid Ronnie Stanley. He requested a trade. This has them trading him to the Cincinnati Bengals. Are you buying or selling that? I'm going to sell that only because it's a division rival. You're you almost never see in uh trades within the same division unless the Bengals are absolutely desperate and overpay for Brown Jr. a lot. And I'm talking their, like, what is it? Their fourth, their fifth overall pick and then some. I think that's the only way we see him get traded to the Bengals. But that being said, I do think he is going to get traded somewhere. And I do believe that the Ravens are going to, fleece someone and get and make someone overpay for him yeah I'm I'm selling that as well and you really had a great point there you don't see trades with a division rival especially a franchise left tackle they're just going to gift that left tackle to them if they got left tackle sent the Bengals got left tackle from the Baltimore Ravens Orlando Brown they then fifth overall well, I'm sure fifth overall would have to be involved at some point unless you did two future ones. It would be a mess trying to put this trade together because I think Orlando Brown could, if they get the right team, the desperate enough team, could bring them back two first-round picks, if not a one and a couple twos. Like That's how valuable Orlando Brown is. He had a great season for the Baltimore Ravens. You don't just give that away. And also, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, you're at fifth overall. We've gone through the draft a little bit. You have Lawrence, 
Wilson, and then Fields, in my opinion, but a quarterback nonetheless. Fourth overall comes around. I said Kyle Pitts. That's the guy I'd like to see there. But there's some other options there as well. I don't think offense, I don't think tackle is the pick there. It could be, but they've invested in their O line the last couple of drafts. I don't know if they want to add another first round lineman into the fold there. So that leaves you with Sewell and Slater, your option of the two at number five. We just saw a 33 year old left tackle get $23 million a year this offseason on the open market. How much is a 24, 25-year-old left tackle going to get on the open market who was very close to an all-pro this year? Just as much as that, very close to $22 million. So you give up a couple ones and pay $22 million for a left tackle when you could draft a guy at five and have him for five years under a rookie contract, under rookie contract control and then decide if you want to pay him. And not to mention Sewell and Slater are very talented left tackles. I'm not saying that they'll be better than Orlando Brown, but I think with their potential, they could be better if not just as good as Orlando Brown for a cheaper price for five years. And you also have to look at, can you pay your left tackle that much? And also Joe Burrow, if he pans out to what you want him to be, he's going to be a guy who can make $40 million. I'm not saying he will, but if you want him to be what he's supposed to be when he was coming into the league as that number one overall pick and you want him to pan out the best, that would cost you $40 million to keep a guy like that around. Can you afford all that? that? That's when it gets a little dicey for me. I think rookie tackle is just the right move there, and especially you only give up one first-round pick for him. Instead of giving up two, you're going to get a guy giving up one first-round pick. So for me, I'm selling that. Um, but I do like the idea. I like the idea of the tackle there. Now we're going to move into our NFL free agency grade. We got through most of the AFC the last couple of weeks. Now we're going to do our last team in the AFC remaining, and that is the AFC South. The first team up is the Tennessee Titans. David, what grade did you give them? I'm going to give them a B. No, I scratched that. I'm going to give them a C+. I think they had an okay offseason. Nothing too crazy. They didn't add like a big star or a like a massive move that shocked and uh, changed the landscape of the NFL. They added Bud Dupree, uh, which is, or they, yeah, they brought Bud Dupree in. And he's, I think he's going to be pretty solid. They changed up stuff in the uh, cornerback area, and that definitely needed addressing. But they lost some pieces on offense, and that's worrisome. I don't know if Derrick Henry alone is going to be able to carry you, even though that's been pretty much the plan the last couple seasons. You do need someone to catch the ball when you uh, go play action with Derrick Henry. So they weren't bad, but I don't think they were all that good. So a C-plus is my grade. Yeah, for me... I'm gonna give them. I'm gonna give them a C minus, C minus D plus for me. And you talked about it. The offensive weapons that they lost. Corey Davis was your fifth overall pick, and you couldn't even bring him back on a cheap deal to try to make him work out a little bit. He finally starts to catch stride in this contract year, and you can't find a way to bring him back. 
I, I don't like that move a whole lot. I thought there was a way you could have kept him, but he signs the deal with the Jets, and uh, Jets, you could argue, overpaid a little bit for him. But nonetheless, he's going to be a loss to their offense. You brought up Bud Dupree. That's the signing for me that is the most worrisome for me. He had the torn ACL last season, so he's coming off of the torn ACL. And when you look at his statistics, four sacks, four and a half, six, five and a half, 2019, 11 and a half. And then this season, he was supposed to be even better. Tears his ACL after eight sacks. This reminds me a lot of somebody, and I'm going to go through the stats before I name said person. Four sacks, eight sacks, two, two, 11 and a half, and then three. That is last season's prize edge rusher in the free agency. Dante Fowler Jr. came off a big year, went to a new team, didn't perform all that well. He had the really good year with the Rams where he got the, well, they traded for him mid-year, the year they went to the Super Bowl, extended him to bring him back around in the one-year deal, has 11 and a half sacks, hits free agency because the Rams can't keep him, and then he just doesn't do much for the Falcons, a team that was in dire need and still is of edge rushers. You were going to be the guy and you can only come up with three sacks. That's where I think we could see Bud Dupree head in this direction. At $16 million a year, that's just a lot of money for a guy that's coming off an ACL and has only had one true good season, in my opinion. He was on his way to one this year, but towards ACL, I, it's just a lot for me to say, okay, yeah, that's a good move. And then when you look at it, they also need to make some moves at corner. They lost. They traded away a Dory Jackson to the Giants, or maybe they cut him. But nonetheless, he ended up with the Giants. That's a loss at corner. There's another first-round pick. The same draft as Corey Davis. So now both your first-round picks in that draft are no longer on the roster. And then you also get rid of Malcolm Butler from the cornerback spot. And the guy you bring in to replace him is uh, Janoris Jenkins. Janoris Jenkins hasn't been good in four to five years. I'm not a huge fan of that move. I'm really not. And then when you look at the receiver position, you have to bring someone in to replace Corey Davis. You choose Josh Reynolds. That's an underrated signing, in my opinion. He's a guy with the Rams that got overshadowed. He has potential. I, I do like that signing. He has potential there. The Kevin Johnson at cornerback, another guy with potential. But this, Titan te- this Titans team isn't... I know you want to go bargain bin shopping when you're a really good team. That's kind of how you become better. You get these guys for cheap, and they do well for you. But that's not the way the Titans went about it. They went cheap at some positions they lost players. But then you paid out $16 million to a new pass rusher that you have no experience with. That's, for me, where their grade drops the most. That's why I have them in that C-minus to D-plus range. Next team we have up is the Indianapolis Colts. Lost Phillip Rivers, bring in Carson Wentz. Is that enough to get them a positive grade? I'm giving them a C-plus. I think they could definitely have... They could be graded at very different ends. I could see people giving them A's or F's. I'm kind of right in the middle. They didn't do too much. They re-signed Xavier Rhodes, Marlon Mack, and T.Y. Hilton, who were all very talented players and kind of cornerstones of that team. And I think they're going to be a good team. It's just how does Carson Wentz pan out? How is he going to be? And it is worth noting that he does have that big contract, but it's less than it could have been with how much the Eagles are taking on in dead cap. 
So it's not the most they could have they could be spending on him. So I think they I liked that Carson Wentz move because he's going to have a good offensive line and a good just offensive team around him and it's going to help him succeed. That being said, they didn't really bring in anyone all that outstanding, so I'm going to give them a C+. Yeah, for me, I'm I'm going to stay in that same range as you. I'm going to go a B-. And I go B- because when I look at Carson Wentz and Phillip Rivers in terms of where they're at in their careers, Phillip Rivers last season, Carson Wentz last year, in my opinion, Carson Wentz is a more skilled quarterback than Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers was just a little bit older. He didn't have the same arm. And he's always been a guy that throws with anticipation. That's kind of been his thing. That gets him in trouble a lot. He turns the ball over quite a bit. So does Carson Wentz. But Carson Wentz is a guy that when he was the number two overall pick in 2016. Was supposed to be the MVP in 17 for towards ACL. And as his career progressed, he's been a guy that he's also, his plays regressed. But look at that Philadelphia Eagles roster the last couple of years. As his plays regressed, so has that team. In 2019, they lost the wild card round to the Seattle Seahawks. And Carson Wentz got hurt in that game. But the Eagles had no business being in the playoffs with the record they had. And also the roster that they had at that point. But they find a way into the playoffs in that week in FC East, which is a whole nother story for a different day. But Carson Wentz this year, too, turned the ball over a lot. But it just seemed like he was trying to be Superman. He was trying to do everything for this team. And it looked bad on him because he was turning the ball over. If he would have just done everything just the coach asked and just maybe dinked and dunked a little bit more instead of taking these shots, trying to win games, he would have looked like an average QB and would have had higher trade value, probably even would have been the Eagles quarterback this year. I love the change of scenery for him. Get him in a new place. Give him the ability to now be under Frank Wright once again. I think we could see Carson Wentz take huge strides forward. And you brought up a good point. They didn't make any big splashes outside of Carson Wentz. And that's because, in my opinion, the Colts already have such a good team in place. They don't have many huge name players. But they all play so well together. The Colts front office has done such a great job of putting this team together that it's literally ready for Carson Wentz to walk into and take this team to the playoffs. That division they're in as well, I think it's pretty open in terms of who's going to win. I think it's Colts, Titans. That's who's fighting for this division. And that Carson Wentz trade, in my opinion, it pushed them right up next to the Titans. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I give them a B- minus in this case just because I really think Carson Wentz and a change of scenery is going to be a lot better a player than what we've seen the last couple of years from him. And we're going to see him get back to his true pot- potential, which is exciting because he is a very good player. And he's one of those guys that makes those throws that you see on ESPN with Patrick Mahomes making. He's made a lot of those throws too. He just doesn't get that attention that Patrick Mahomes does. Next team we have up here in the AFC South is the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is free agency grades, but you might as well throw in Trevor Lawrence as well because you know he's going to be there you look at the offseason they have, including Trevor Lawrence, what grade do you give them for what they've done? Before they draft Trevor Lawrence, I'm giving them a C. After, it's just an A. Right now, if you look at the free agents they've signed, it's or the guys, the incoming players, 
there's no one all that noteworthy. I think the biggest addition is uh, Shaq Griffin, who, very talented corner. I think you're overpaying him a little. Uh, you bring in Roy Robertson Harris, who's more of a depth guy at defensive end. What I really wanted to see was offensive linemen and skill positions. Wide receivers, running backs, tight ends. And they didn't really bring much of that in, which they brought some names, but with how deep the wide receiver market was, I think you could have made a splash. Juju Smith-Schuster, Kenny Galladay, you could have gone... You had money to spend, and you didn't spend it to help Trevor Lawrence when he gets to the team. So it's it's a C, but you're getting Trevor Lawrence. That's that's a win. Yeah, I would have loved to see more at the skill position position skilled positions. Excuse me, as well. They did make those additions, but you had the most money in the league. Why go after these bargain bin players? You brought in James O'Shaughnessy at tight end. Why not Hunter Henry? Why not Johnny Smith? Why not Trey Burton even? Guys that I think are better and on the market. You look at also Jordan Reed. He could have came in and been better than O'Shaughnessy. You go to receiver, Marvin Jones. You get him a decent deal, um, about about seven, seven and some change a year for him on a two-year contract. You have the most cap space in the NFL. Why are we not signing Kenny Galladay? You're bringing in Trevor Lawrence, who's going to be number one overall pick. He's going to have a lot of pressure on him to be good right away. He's been donned as the next Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, since he won that national championship against Alabama his freshman year. Get him some help. Yes, I know you have DJ Chark, and he's a pretty good wide receiver. And Chris Conley, you lost him in free agency to a division rival. You bring in Marvin Jones as number two. I would have loved to see DJ Chark and his speed complemented with Kenny Galladay and his big play ability. Not in terms of speed, but because that go-get-it ability. That reminds me a lot of what Trevor Lawrence had at Clemson in T. Higgins. He's not going to beat you with his speed, but he's going to go up and climb the ladder for you and make those big plays. And then at running back, there was several different running backs out there that, okay, makes sense. And there's a couple on the market right now that I still think are improvements. And they signed Carlos Hyde, which is interesting to me because Carlos Hyde is not that great. He's never had a thousand yard. He had one a thousand yard rushing season. Excuse me. Always is injured. I get it. Urban Myers bringing in Carlos Hyde because he coached Carlos Hyde Ohio State, so I understand. I get it. But for me, there's just so many more options to build this team for this young quarterback, and this is the route you go. And the big splash you do make, like you said, Shaq Griffin. In my opinion's an overpay. I someone was going to overpay him in free agency, and it just happened to be the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think he's a decent corner. He's a good corner, but he definitely has his flaws, and teams tend to pick on him, especially in big situations. When you see the Seahawks play, teams do go after him a lot. So now you expect him to be that number one lockdown corner. Jacksonville Jaguars fans got to watch Jalen Ramsey play for years and be a true elite lockdown corner. Now you bring in Shaq Griffin to a huge contract, and he's supposed to be that next guy up. Yikes. I don't think he can live up to that potential. For me, I'm giving them a I'm gonna give them a C minus, D plus. I just wasn't a huge fan of this offseason. I thought they had a lot of potential to do more, and they didn't. Especially because I mean, if Trevor Lawrence comes in and doesn't succeed here, 
you took a quarterback with all the potential in the world and just kind of threw it out the window. And that would be a lot on this front office. You look at Trent Baalke. I'm not a huge fan of his. He's a general manager. Uh, I don't think he's very good. Uh, he's not very good at drafting. And when it comes to bringing in players, he tends to bring in often injured players on bargain bin deals, and he thinks he can win with them. It doesn't work like that. So for me, Jaguars, not the best offseason that they could have had. And now we move on to the Houston Texans. And I don't know if there's a team that had a worse offseason than the Houston Texans did this offseason with everything they have going on. What did you grade the Houston Texans at? I wish I had like a stamp that I could just slap F right on their face. Uh, the only good thing is you don't have Bill O'Brien anymore. <laughs> uh, and you didn't sign Adam Gase as your coach. So those are two wins. They didn't really do a whole lot. Deshaun Watson and legal trouble. I'm just not going to touch that because I have strong opinions there. Uh, adding Mark Ingram, I don't think he's going to be an uber-talented guy. I don't think he's going to be an all-pro, but he's going to be better than David and Duke Henry, uh, Johnson. There we go. <laughs> uh, the two Johnson running backs. So it's it's something, but overall this team is still a mess. And I don't think they're going to get better anytime soon. I'm going to start out with the positive for the Houston Texans here. They signed Tesman King, slot corner, to $3.5 million deal. One year, all-pro slot corner, all-pro returner. There's a lot to like there. Very high potential signing. But that might be the only thing I like out of all their free agent signings. The guys they bring in, you now have three running backs and... You, you brought up Ingram and both the Johnsons. You have three running backs on your team, and not a single one of them is a every down back. And then you have three running backs who are older in age and not that great anymore, all past their prime at that. Then you bring in Christian Kirksey. He gets picked on a lot, whether it be in the pass game, rushing attack. When you see, Offensive coordinators, when you look at the when he was with the Packers, would run towards him. They were really not afraid of Christian Kirksey whatsoever. The Deshaun Watson issue is something in itself. Um, it, right now, it really doesn't look like he's going to be playing this year until everything gets figured out there. I'd be shocked if he does play this year. If With everything that's happened so far, I'd be genuinely shocked if he does play this year for him. Who's their quarterback going to be? You have Tyrod Taylor. Not that great. Everything that the Houston Texans did this offseason, they just took a step back somewhere else. The one sign, oh, I didn't even realize they signed Phillip Lindsay. There's another running back that, he's a decent running back, and he might be able to be a three-down back for you, but you got four starting running backs at this point, so I don't really know how many more you need. This Texans team, I it's a shame what they're doing because it's pretty easy to see what they're doing here. They brought in Nick Casario as the GM. They bring in David Coley as the head coach. David Coley is going to be fired in two years, and he's going to be the scapegoat as to why this Texans team is so bad when it really lies on bad signings, bad players, and before the legal troubles of Deshaun Watson. That's one thing. The poor handling of Deshaun Watson. Your star quarterback, 
you don't even let him just have a say in who the coach is, who the GM is. When you told him he would, no wonder he wants to leave. Now he's in legal troubles, and now it's looking like you're not going to get him in general. This Texans team managed to get even worse from last season. They won four games last year. Good enough for the fourth or third overall pick in the NFL draft. They're going to get worse. I'd be surprised if this roster, as of right now, they don't if they don't get Deshaun Watson back, they will probably have the number one overall pick next season. I truly believe that. There's not much talent on this roster. Any talent they did have is in legal trouble or playing wide receiver and defensive tackle for the Arizona Cardinals. That's where all their talent is at right now. So for me, F. This is just a terrible offseason. The Houston Texans managed to botch the front office, head coaching job, and any possible good signing they have has something even worse to it. We're going to take our next break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we still have the NFC North and the NFC South for agency grades to get to. Before we get into MLB, some bad calls this past week that cost some teams some games. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And we're going to go ahead and finish up our NFC. Well, we'll get through two divisions of our NFC free agency grades before we have our last two, the NFC West and East, next week. So, first division we have up here is the NFC North. We're going to start with the Chicago Bears. What are you giving them a grade at? I'm giving them a D-. minus. It was just just a bad time to be a Bears fan. Uh, You can't trade Kyle Fuller, so you cut him. And that... I I never understand cutting top talent like Kyle Fuller. You could trade him somewhere for, like, a fourth, and then at least you have something to show for it. As... The off-season's progressed. I've come around a little on Andy Dalton. I think $10 million a couple days into free agency was too much and too quick. But overall, they didn't have a whole lot of money. It seems like tagging Allen Robinson is kind of up and down. I'm a fan of it because I don't think you were going to get him to stay otherwise. But... He's he didn't want to be tagged, so you're creating some friction there. It's just, are they, just what are you putting out at quarterback? Is it going to be Andy Dalton, or are you going to try and push for a Russell Wilson trade still? Is that on the table? I wouldn't take Deshaun Watson if the Texans gave him to me for free. So it's really... Russell Wilson or Andy Dalton at this point. They could have done worse, but it just not not good. D minus. Yeah, it it's an interesting offseason that they had. The Kyle Fuller one was a big one. But then also, like you said, the Andy Dalton so quick into free agency. I, I feel like they got rushed a little bit. Andy Dalton, I think, is a better quarterback than Nick Foles, but I don't think it's by a large margin. Nick Foles is a guy that's going to succeed when everything around him is going well. He's not ever going to be, I would say, a Super Bowl winner and MVP, but he already was. But he got there off of an MVP season by Carson Wentz. He just had to finish the job. He's never going to be a guy that can just take a team full season and get to a Super Bowl win. That's just not who he is. But he is a guy when everything's going well. 
he can succeed. And I feel like Andy Dalton's the same way, but he can succeed with a little bit less than Nick Foles needs around him to succeed. Because when Nick Foles won that Super Bowl, I mean, when you really look at that Eagles team, they were stacked all around. Great defense. The weapons on that team were playing phenomenal. Alshon Jeffrey, I've not seen Alshon Jeffrey play football that well since that Super Bowl game. That was the last time you really saw the real Alshon Jeffrey. So for Dalton, I think he can come in and I don't know. I don't expect playoffs for the Bears based off of right now. But they're a team that with this draft, if they can hit on some of these picks, then we can get talking a little bit here. Making the playoffs for them was nice because they did get a chance to get in the playoffs. But at the same time, it really hurt them in terms of draft position. They could have had a lot better of a pick. And I think that would have been important. If you could have got yourself into, let's say, the sweepstakes for the Trey Lance, Mac Jones type deal there, if you could have been closer to pick 15, very realistic you can hop up into that top seven and get yourself Lance, Fields, Jones, whoever falls a little bit. I personally wouldn't go Jones in the top 10. I would wait till he comes out of the top 10. If you take a Mac Jones, let's say, I don't think he will, but let's say in general he slides that Bears pick. That wouldn't be bad. I think that's good value for Mac Jones. Moving up into the top 10 for Mac Jones seems like a little bit of a reach. But they answered the quarterback, just not the way the Bears Bears fans wanted this offseason. I expect a little bit more there. I I think maybe a third-round quarterback, like I said, makes sense for them. Desmond Trufant's a corner that he's played some really good football in Atlanta. Detroit last year, he was okay, um, dealt with some injuries, wasn't quite the same guy. I think of this Bears defensive system, we can see him kind of get back to form a little bit. And one signing I really do like, I really do, is Jeremiah Tachu. He's a edge rusher they brought in, doesn't have a big name whatsoever, but he's always been a guy with the utmost potential. If the Bears can get that out of him, he could be a big signing for him. He's not going to be a 15-sack guy, but a depth pass rusher that gets you five to eight sacks, that is something you don't see a whole lot of in the NFL these days. One guy that comes to mind for me is Kerry Hyder last season. Comes in eight, eight-and-a-half-sack season as a reserve pass rusher. Take that any day of the week. He could be that if the Bears can get that potential out of him. For me, I'm with you. I give him a D on this offseason so far, but the draft is really what can change everything around they have a chance to do something that no other team does. They have a decent draft pick, and of the teams that need a quarterback, they're the best positioned outside the top 10 to go get that guy and still be successful. Next team we have here is the Minnesota Vikings. What grade did you give them? I'm going to give them a D plus. They let Anthony Harris go, and they spend big on Patrick Peterson. Those seem like they're going in kind of the opposite opposite direction. You, again, spend big on Dalvin Tomlinson. Did you really need him? And then you let Kyle Rudolph, who's been your captain and your like cornerstone as a team leader in your locker room for a really long time, you let him leave. You let Riley Reefreed leave. You know what I'm trying to say. You let a bunch of guys leave you, and then bring in some questionable players. The big question for me is Patrick Peterson. I don't 
think he deserves that much money. And letting Anthony Harris go is definitely a big deal. So it, I'm giving them a D plus. They weren't as in. They're in a better situation than the Bears are, and that's the only reason for having a higher grade. But they didn't have a good off season. Yeah, for me, I don't think they had all that good of an off season either. I give them a C minus on mine. The Patrick Peterson deal, I also agree. He didn't deserve that much money, but Patrick Peterson has these little weird like spurts where he acts like he's five years younger again and locks up a wide receiver, and then some games he'll give up like 100 yards receiving, and you go, that's not the same guy. He's not the same player anymore. Last season, he did a phenomenal job against um, DK Metcalf, but then also did terrible against Tyler Lockett and Emmanuel Sanders the previous year. So it's just kind of, he's so uh, wishy-washy. You never know what Patrick Pearson you're going to get. If they can get consistent, top, good play, not the really bad play we see from him at times, then I think that could turn into a good signing, but it needs to go the right direction. Dalvin Tomlinson, that for me, that signing right there is a team that's so low on cap space just trying to go out and get a guy that you think is going to be successful. Because the two years, $21 million, that's a pretty big contract to a defensive tackle. It's not necessarily why I would have spent my money, but I see what they're trying to do there. Tomlinson is a pretty good defensive tackle. I, he's not really a pass rusher, but he is one of the better run stoppers. So for me, I think that makes some sense, but just a little bit too much money. But also, when you're the Minnesota Vikings, you're coming off a season where you missed the playoffs, and the year before you went one and done, and or you won one, excuse me, won a game, and then we're out in the division by the divisional round of the playoffs. Don't have much cap space. You're gonna have to sign some of these bargain bin type players. I just think where they decide to spend their money was a little bit off for me. I would have went in some different, younger directions, tried to get the most value out of that money that you do have to spend. Next up is the Detroit Lions. What grade are you giving them? I'm giving them a C, just a straight-up C. Moving on from Matthew Stafford hurts. Just He was a fantastic player on the Lions for a really long time, and having to move on from him is is going to hurt. I don't think Jared Goff is the long-term solution, and it seems like the Lions don't think that either, but it's just... Finally, it seems like the front office understands, all right, we're going to have to really revamp and rebuild this team. And admitting is the first part on the, on the road to success. And finally, the Lions have admitted that they are not good and they need to rebuild. So just that, that first step is something that we haven't seen from them. And they added some, I think, underrated veterans Tyrell Williams, Jamal Will- Jamal Williams as well. So I think Jared Goff could lead them to five and twelve, six and eleven. Not great, but an a not terrible team. So I'm gonna give them a C. Yeah, for me, I'm gonna give them a D plus. And I'm gonna give them a D plus because they got two first round picks with Jared Goff. So that's a big time plus. But you also give up Matthew Stafford. But you had to. I like I like the move as a front office perspective because that's the type of franchise I'm willing, if I'm a player, I'm willing to go play for because they respected Matthew Stafford enough to say, hey, 
we're going to go through a little bit of a rebuild here. You're going to be out of your prime. Let's get you somewhere where you can go win. And you put him with Sean McVay. Wow. Sean McVay is going to have so much fun with Matthew Stafford. That's the first quarterback that he's had. I'm going to say in his in McVay's coaching career in general, including his stops in Washington before he got to Detroit, where his quarterback is going to make a bunch of off-scripted plays for him. When I watch Jared Goff, and I've seen this comparison, and it makes sense. Sean McVay is kind of like playing Madden with the controller with Jared Goff. He's kind of like, throw the ball here, throw the ball here. This is where you're throwing the ball. That's what Jared Goff is. He doesn't have that anymore, so I expect that to be struggling in Detroit big time because you no longer have Sean McVay, who's top five, top six play caller in the league, to help you out. And we're going to see him shine, Stafford shine, with the Rams. The Tyrell Williams sign, like you brought up, decent, a $3 million for one year. He was a guy that had a lot of potential. They called him the alien when he was with the Chargers because they said he was one of a kind. He was different. He was really good. He didn't show that with the Raiders, but the Raiders also are a struggling team in general. They decided to bring in some former Packers, Tim Boyle, Jamal Williams. Okay, I'm not a fan of the Jamal Williams signing just because I thought DeAndre Swift was finally going to take that step and be a true three-down back for him. So bringing in Jamal Williams, I think, takes away from that. And the one signing I'm just not a fan of in general is Quentin Dunbar. The one-year deal they got with him. Yeah, he has potential. And with Washington, he was a very good corner. But last year in Seattle, he was injured a lot. He was not good. He was getting picked on left and right. I just don't really like that signing much for them. My favorite addition they've made was probably Michael Brockers for a seventh-round pick. In my opinion, Michael Brockers, an underrated D lineman, getting him for a seventh-round pick, I'll take that any day of the week. So I think that's my favorite signing for them. But still, just not a great offseason for them. They got worse, in my opinion, than what they were. So we'll see how they're able to do, but I can't expect it to be all that great. Next up we have here is the reigning NFC North champs, the Green Bay Packers. Did they get better this offseason? I don't think so. I'm going to give them a D+. They're still, I think, the best team in the NFC North. But they overpaid Aaron Jones. And that kind of locked them into not being able to do all that much past his signing. Uh, It's really confusing that they spend big on Jones, who, don't get me wrong, phenomenal back. But getting spending all that money when you're not going to be a run-first team is questionable, especially when you spend a second-round pick on A.J. Dillon. You also let your center, Corey Lindsey, walk. At least you get to... You still retain Jones and Robert Tunyon, which is helpful, but next season you're going to have to pay Devontae Adams. And I don't know if you have enough cap space to do that in a way where you're not just shedding talent elsewhere. So I'm going to give them a D plus. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go a C flat um, because the Aaron Jones signing, why it was a lot for my liking. I do like bringing Aaron Jones back because he did do a lot for you. I wouldn't have paid him that much. I'm not a fan of paying running backs because once they do get paid, they normally fall off. But Alvin Kamara kind of proved that wrong this last season. Had fantastic games, including a six touchdown game. 
I believe it was on Thanksgiving or Christmas Eve, one of the two. Fantastic game that he had. So I get why they did bring him back, but why I'm that's why I'm giving them a C. But also there was some bad, a lot of bad. Kevin King back on a one-year deal. I I wouldn't have done that. Kevin King didn't show me enough last year to bring him back, especially just you look at a team that's trying to fight for a Super Bowl. You have Aaron Rodgers. Every year you should be a Super Bowl contender with Aaron Rodgers. In the biggest moment against one of the smartest quarterbacks to ever play, with very minimal time until halftime, you can't play off and just run deep. You let Scotty Miller get behind you vertically. That's the number one rule when playing in the secondary with a few seconds left for halftime. Do not get beat deep. That's exactly what he did. I wouldn't bring him back. Not solely off of that alone, but because Kevin King struggled most of last year. And I also give him a C because another uh, bad, in my opinion, and that's what they're doing with Aaron Rodgers, the handling of Aaron Rodgers. He said he was willing to work out a new deal where he gets extended, gets more money, but at the same time, they could push that money around, turning into signing bonuses, and also push that money, backload it, where you free up cap space this year to help this team and get better. And they declined. They declined to do that. The writing's on the wall with what Green Bay wants to do. We've seen it with Jared Goff. And don't get me wrong, Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo, the next quarterback I'm going to get into, they are not anywhere near Aaron Rodgers. Not anywhere near. When you look at Jared Goff, he lost that Super Bowl. The team instantly started to look for the next up, you could say, quarterback-wise, and tried to get rid of him since then. The 49ers lost the Super Bowl, and they they instantly were looking into Tom Brady, players like that, trying to upgrade the position. The Packers got all the way to the NFC Championship game with a 13-3 record and went quarterback in the first round the following year. Traded up for quarterback the following year. Not even Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo got that treatment. At least they got another year of starting before the team went and found out, went and found their next guy up. And the fact that you're not willing to pay the quarterback who just won the MVP award, extend him, free up money this year, that is a little baffling to me. And I think the writing's on the wall with Aaron Rodgers. I fully expect him by the end of next season. I really do believe he has a very good opportunity to get traded moved on from at the end of next season and I said last year when they took Jordan Love it wouldn't surprise me if it happened this offseason but he went out and won the MVP you cannot trade Aaron Rodgers after winning an MVP you cannot so I think this just pushes it back one more year I really do if they don't win a Super Bowl this year I think it's very likely Green Bay moves on from Aaron Rodgers the next division we have up here is the NFC South. We're going to start with the reigning Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What grade are you giving them? I'm giving them an A. They, I don't know how, but they brought back pretty much everyone from their Super Bowl run, and they're still under the cap. I, I really am in awe of how that was possible. It's. I think they're going to have a very good team going forward, even past uh, the Brady-era uh, Buccaneers. You brought back Shaq Barrett, Levante David, Gronk, Leonard Fournette, Chris Godwin. You're 
you're still going to be an absolute powerhouse with one more year of continuity. You've played together before and you have that locker room chemistry together already. You just won a Super Bowl and you're going to run it back. I think they're going to have a great year and they had a great offseason. Yeah, for me, this is easy. A plus for me. And I also, it's a bit of a hot take, but I'm willing to say this is probably one of the best, I would say the best offseason a team's had in NFL history. And I say that because I'll run through some of these bigger names that they brought in. Signed Chris Godwin, signed Gronk, signed Ndamukong Sue, signed Shaq Barrett, 18 and a half sack guy, re-signed Levante David, who's a top six linebacker in the NFL, re-signed their kicker Ryan Suckup, and brought in Leonard Fournette. And they're not even done yet. They brought in Giovanni Bernard and are still in talks with Antonio Brown. If any other team went into free agency and signed all those players, that would instantly be the best offseason by far. It's because they're re-signings that it doesn't get as much attention. But this is a phenomenal offseason. Those are big-time players they just brought back. And they just won the Super Bowl. This team found a way to, in my opinion, get better. I thought for sure they'd lose some guys, but I love what the front office is doing. They are going to be a good team, like you said, past Brady, but they're going all in right now because they know they have Brady for two more years. I think in next this next year and the year after, that'll be it for Brady. Um, he'll be 45. That'll be the goal that he wanted. I think that's going to be it for him. And also your head coach, older, came out of retirement for this position. He also probably doesn't have that much time left. And when Brady goes, he's going to go. They're going all in to win as many Super Bowls as possible for this team. And while it didn't work for the Rams, it, you have Tom Brady. So I, you go in every single season possible. And that's what they did. I think it's the best offseason in NFL history. Those are huge name guys they brought back when they had very little money to work with. It is a fantastic job by the Buccaneers front office. It really was. The next team and the last team we will do before we go into our last break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct is the Carolina Panthers. They got a new quarterback. Wasn't the rookie we kind of expected them to take eighth overall, but a new quarterback in Sam Darnold. Does that help their grade at all? Yeah, it does. I like the trade really for both sides. It, it hurts to give up a very high overall pick for much less than you paid for him. But it's... You needed to move on from Sam Darnold. I think he just needed a fresh start. And I think he's going to have a decent time with the Panthers. It's just going to be, how does the offense mesh? You bring in Curtis Samuel. You have some weapons. It's just... Can Christian McCaffrey stay healthy? And are they going to be able to play well together? That's Those are the big questions, really. And I think they can. Uh, Sam Darnold, I believe Sam Darnold is going to play a lot better and have kind of a career resurgence compared to what we saw in uh, New Jersey, technically. That's where they play. That's a whole gripe I have. But I like what the Panthers have done but again there wasn't a huge big signing so I'm only giving them a C yeah for me I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a D 
And I think Carolina made a couple nice moves. One, un, two under the radar signings that I really like for this team. One was Hassan Riddick. He had a career year for the Arizona Cardinals last season. He's on a one-year, eight million dollar prove it deal with the Panthers because of Matt Rule. Matt Rule coached him at Temple, and he decided to follow him to Carolina and get on that prove it deal. He had, I believe, about 13 sacks, somewhere close to last season. Had a really good year. Now he's going to play defensive end for the Panthers for a season and go get paid elsewhere. And also Denzel Perryman, the linebacker from the Chargers, two years, six million, so three million per year. He's a very underrated linebacker. He's not by any means a top 15 backer, but for three million a year, that is a great, great value at the linebacker position. The losses for me overshadow what they were able to bring in, though. You lose Mike Davis, who's a backup running back, but did play really well for you. He did. But you lost him. Not a big deal. But it's Curtis Samuel for me. I just think he brings so much he brings so much potential to this offense. He can do so much. He had he's the jet sweep guy. You can line him up running back. You can put him out a wide receiver. He's a deep threat. And he also can be a wildcat quarterback. All these things that he can bring to this offense. And Joe Brady's one of the more creative guys in the NFL. Curtis Samuel's a nice chess piece to have when you're trying to be creative within the NFL. So for me, that's a bigger loss. And Sam Darnold is interesting. I know you're more positive on Sam Darnold than I am, but I do think he can have he can get a lot better with the Panthers. But my question is, how much is a lot better for Sam Darnold? I don't ever think, even with the Panthers, I don't think we ever see him crack the top 16 in terms of quarterbacks. He could be around that 15 mark, but he he doesn't have the success that Ryan Tannehill did in Miami before Adam Gase was there, and then he got hurt. Darnold just has too many question marks for me, and I'm also a little worried. The Panthers did make the move for him, but are they willing to commit to him to be that future guy? They're still picking at number eight. Could he be in another situation where it's you might be right back out the door again? I think he has the potential to be a top 15 guy, but with everything that he's been dealt so far in his NFL career, I just don't know if he'll ever get there. And now Carolina is a nice spot for him, but at the same time, I don't know. I'm not sure they're going to be like, hey, you're our guy. You're the quarterback. He needs that. He needs a team to say, you're our guy, and you'll see his potential. But will he get that? That's my biggest question for him. I don't question his talent whatsoever because he does have talent. He just needs the right team. I'm just not sure Carolina is that team for him. But we'll see. It could be a good spot for him. We're going to take our last break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we will finish the NFC South with the Falcons and the Saints grades before we get into some MLB. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And we're going to go ahead and finish up our NFC South for agency grades before we get into the MLB talk. Second to last team we have here is the Atlanta Falcons. What grade are you giving them? I'm giving them a D minus. They really did not do anything to help their team get better. We've seen, well, I've seen in the past couple of seasons, it, they always start really slow. First 10 games are probably 3-7. and seven. Then in the last six, they start slow in those last six and rattle off three in a row to kind of get some hope for the next season. And it's the same thing over and over. And they never break it down and rebuild. And 
they're doing that same thing. They they really only added Mike Davis. That's the only really notable addition I could see. Who I think he's gonna be pretty good, better than he was when he was with the Bears, but probably not as good as when he was with the Panthers. So I don't think going forward with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones is the smartest move for the Falcons. And they built their free agency around those two players, and I am not a fan of that. Yeah, for me, I'm giving them a D. You said it pretty well here. I don't see anyone that they added that made me go, oh, wow, okay, decent. All these guys, Fabian Moreau, not great. Brandon Copeland, not good. Barkevius Mingo, really not good. Lee Smith, eh. Mike Davis, okay. Nothing special there whatsoever that they added. They were already a bad team, picking fourth overall. And I don't think they did anything to get better whatsoever. You lost your center, Alex Mack, and which that's going to hurt. Losing your center, especially in offense like Atlanta runs, he Alex Mack is such a good veteran. He almost he's the quarterback of the offensive line, and he really helps the quarterback out. He's like, hey, this is the mic, and he also helps the quarterback address. Oh, blitzer here, blitzer here. He's such a good veteran in that sense. Some of these younger centers aren't like that whatsoever, but Alex Mack is. And Keanu Neal, he's a guy that, when healthy, is a very good safety, very athletic, sideline to sideline safety. He can play down the box. He can play a single high role. He can play a regular safety spot. He's so versatile. Losing him, I think, is going to hurt. But I understand why they didn't re-sign him, just dealt with too many injuries, for even my liking to bring him back. But I just don't see anywhere Atlanta truly got better. And, yes, they do have the fourth overall pick. So let's say you do bring in Kyle Pitts with that pick. Not bad. Do they surprise people and go quarterback? If Niners go fields at three and Lance is there at four, do they take Trey Lance a year of Matt Ryan, let Lance sit, then trade Matt Ryan away? Possibly. They have options there, but none of which other than really Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts, if they do draft him, would be the only move that I think legitimately makes them better for next season. Quarterback at four doesn't make sense to me. And then defense is just too early, in my opinion. You'd have to trade back. So, for me, I don't think they really did anything to get better and help Matt Ryan Julio out, so why keep them on board? Next team we have here is the New Orleans Saints. Huge loss in their leg- Saints legend Drew Brees to retirement. What grade do they get for free agency? I'm giving them a D-, minus, not necessarily with the moves they made or lack thereof. They just couldn't make any moves. They had way too much cap they're in really cap purgatory where they have just nothing to spend I think they're still over the cap I'm not entirely sure about that but you really don't bring in anyone you lose you know notable starters and just you don't bring anything back there isn't any Anything you're gaining in this free agency, it's just losses. You lose Jared Cook, Emmanuel Sanders, who wasn't super great for you in the uh, past year, but he was something. And you you just don't have anything to bring back. That You don't have any one player who's like, oh yeah, I'm excited for them. 
you brought back Jameis Winston, that's something, but he's not going to be Breeze-level caliber at all. Yeah, for me, uh, I give them an F because they went all in to try to win a Super Bowl for Drew Brees because Tom Brady's in the division. You have to go all in to help him out. Drew Brees couldn't get it done come playoff time like we saw Tom Brady do. And here are the repercussions of it. You now have to find a way, and especially they knew the cap space was going to be going down when they made these moves that they did, and they still did them. The Emmanuel Sanders, 700-yard receiver, not bad, but losing him is big because now you go from Mike Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, a nice duo together, to Mike Thomas and who at this point? Traquan Smith, is that the guy you're going to roll out there? Jared Cook. But those are offensive guys that you lost. Drew Brees, it can't be stated how big that one's going to be. He wasn't close to the same guy, the same Drew Brees that set all the records last season. But he still was a somewhat shell of himself, and he was still very smart. So he still made a lot of plays, but when a lot of pressure was on him, you didn't see him step up like the regular Drew Brees that we've come to know and love. But the losses for me on that defensive side of the ball are huge. They really are. Hendrickson, Malcolm Brown, Sheldon Rankins, Janoris Jenkins. Other than Hendrickson, none of those other guys are just real, like, huge losses to this team. But for me, your defense was already bad. To I'd say okay to bad. The secondary needed help. You bring back Marcus Williams. Okay. Marshawn Lattimore is going to be a free agent next season. Or in the next couple of years, excuse me. He's a guy that you have to find a way to pay now. And then also, you lost three starters on your defensive line, and you're left with your former first-round pick, Marcus Davenport, who you traded up for, who has not played to what he should be at whatsoever. Your secondary got weaker, your defensive line got weaker, and you already have linebacker issues. Your starting linebacker, I believe right now, is Alex Nozale. It's really not great um, where they're at defensively. Offensively, they got a lot worse. Defensively, they got a lot worse. I would not be shocked. I wait till after they see what they draft to make this a firm prediction, but I would not be shocked to see this Saints team go only win six games. There's really not much talent on it outside of Mike Thomas and Alvin Kamara. They have a decent line still, but when Jameis Winston played last year, I did not see anything that was truly special. Where I said, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm trusting him. I feel like it was just kind of default. We traded for him. I mean, we signed him for agency. It was one year deal. We kind of have to keep him around. I think that's exactly what we see there. I, I give them an F. That was just a rough offseason for them. They went from kind of the class of the NFC to a below-average NFC team, which is a team with a couple of stars. That's really all they are at this point. Now we're going to get into some MLB talk here. Umpires are under fire the last couple of weeks. They sent a batter to first after the Mets batter leaned into a pitch that would have struck, out, struck him out and won the game. And that advanced the game-winning run. And also the Braves lose um, to the Phillies. And it's they said that the there was a review that they said the runner touched home plate. And pretty clearly that he didn't, especially after replay. And they still called him safe. And then the Phillies went on to win that game. And the Braves would lose off of a bad call. After both games, umpires came out and said that those calls were wrong. They should have been made the other way. Not really much you can do about it, but you just prop not saying they did, but probably cost two teams victories 
in those matchups. My question to you, David, is instant replay is somewhat new um, for the MLB still, still kind of figuring all that out. What is the point of instant replay if you still can't make the right call after it gets sent to New York when he clearly didn't touch the home plate? Yeah, that one's the biggest one for me uh, is the Phillies runner not touching the plate and still being called safe because you can sync up those angles, like the three close-up angles they had, and see, okay, he doesn't touch the plate here, he doesn't touch it here, he doesn't touch it here. He never really touches the plate. The other call with the Mets, I kind of understand that because you can't really rule that you can't review if someone was leaning into a pitch or not. That's not something that's reviewable. So that's my only concession there. But I'm what really surprises me is that these teams didn't protest the games because you can play a game under protest. I'm not sure exactly how that works if after the final out has been made, but that's something I would have liked to see. Yeah, for me, it's just those the especially the home plate one. I'm also with you. That that was bad. That was really bad. To be fair, I didn't see a single angle where I thought he touched home plate. There wasn't one angle that looked and lot when it happened live, I thought, "Oh, it's close." And then I saw the replay and I go, "Oh, it's really not." I was like, "He's going to get called out." You saw the Phillies and the Braves each start to go to their own directions thinking, "Okay, yeah, that's that's going to be called out, and then they call him safe. That, for me, is what's so frustrating about sports and referees and umpires in this situation. You have a call that is so easy. Very clearly, he did not touch it, but then you still rule against it, and it's just difficult because you, in the moment, I'm with you. That was a very tough call. I'm, I'm with the umpire on there, but then you get minutes to look at it and also you send it to New York to get looked at you're telling me that umpires on the field and the head guys back in New York could not come to the consensus that he did not touch that plate and I think anyone that's seen the play can say he did not touch it it's it's just frustrating to see that you have instant replay in there for a reason to slow down see exactly what happened and still not be able to call it the right way it's difficult for me. And that's not just baseball that it's like that. It's every sport. You have instant replay and you still make the wrong call. You shouldn't have to come out after a game and explain how it was a bad call and it should have went the other way when you have instant replay. That's your chance to make that call right that you missed on the field, on the diamond, and you still don't. So it's just frustrating at this point. And then it brings up the question, these refs, these umps, should they be held accountable for if you miss a call and later you say, okay, that was the wrong call, and it could have changed the game like this, these two examples, specifically the home plate one, should those umpires and refs be held accountable for missing that call? Uh, yeah, but really the question is how do you hold them accountable? The only, like, they're they're getting paid to do this. They they get like rehired every season it's just 
Would you not bring them back? Who are you going to replace them with then? Possible fines, but I, I don't think there would be any way the like the refs as a whole would be okay with that. So I think they have about as much accountability as they're going to have. The only... What needs to have more accountability is Major League Baseball in the use of instant replay and the like head officials reviewing the play in New York. Those are the two places where I think accountability can be increased. Yeah, for me, one specific play that sticks out to me um, not in the MLB is the NFL, the NFC Championship game between the Saints and the Rams. Very clear, blatant pass interference, not called. And that game specifically, and then also in this one, you see that run pretty much won the game for the Phillies. It didn't necessarily, but that was really kind of what set the game over top. When I see that, I do think there has to be some type of accountability, um, whether it be, like you said, through a form of more understanding instant replay. I, You think you have people in New York to fix these calls, not make all the pressure on them, and they still miss it. And that is frustrating. But also, I think possibly a suspension without pay, something. You, has to, you have to work something out because while, yes, there's not much you can do. Something has to be done a little bit. It's not often you see this happen. So it's not like it's an everyday thing. This is just happening all the time. But these few times you do see it in vital moments, you just have to be correct, especially with the second look at it. You have to make those calls correct, whether it be – and it should be by an offense basis with my suspension idea. Maybe if it's your first time, you get a fine, like you said. And you see players get fined in different sports for – and some sports, really stupid things, such as um, not wearing your socks high enough or stuff like that. Like, that's what some players get fined for in these sports, professional sports leagues today. Why can't officials, why can't they be fined for that? And then also, you look at it, maybe a second offense, you do get a suspension without pay. Or you get suspended your next game that you were supposed to work without pay. And then you go on from there. I'm not saying necessarily they need to be monstrous, just fines but also something to make more of a you don't want more pressure on them but at the same time they have to be held accountable at some point because just like in all these leagues these players are held accountable for what they do if they mess up in a big moment they could get cut and they could and especially in a play like that where it could cost a team what these are players this is their livelihood let's say something it's a big game like that NFC championship game those players don't get a chance to move on to the Super Bowl and win that game. That's their livelihood. That's where they make their money. Now you're affecting other people. I think there has to be some point of accountability. You made a good point. It's difficult to come up with something, but I do, there's got to be something. Because it just, like I said, not often, but does happen. And now we're going to move on to some early contenders or pretenders. We're going to go through four teams that have got out to hot starts this season that people didn't necessarily expect them to get out to these decent starts. We're going to start out with the Reds at a record of 7-5 and five currently. Are they contenders or pretenders? I think they're pretenders. They're not going to be... Just the, uh, the central division as a whole is not 
all that good. So I think the Reds are probably going to be around 500. Right now their pitching is very hot. And I think they're getting enough run support. But as the season goes on, that run support is going to kind of draw back and they're not going to be hitting as well. And those and that record's going to even out to about 500. So they're pretending a little bit, but overall, I think right now they're showing the strength of their pitching, but their hitters are just overperforming a little. Yeah, I, I'm with you. The, the Reds, to me, are pretenders. I think you have teams within the NL Central that I think catch up to the Reds, especially the Cardinals. I think are a team that are very good opportunity to go catch the Reds. Some other teams in the NL Central are struggling, like such as the Cubs. They're struggling a little bit. I and I do think at some point though, we're gonna see kind of a flop a little bit. I'm not saying that the Reds just start losing a bunch of games and the Cubs will start winning a bunch of games, but that's gonna start to flip a little bit. The Reds got out to a hot start, but it's still very early. I they have also they've hit the ball extremely, extremely well for what we expected from the Reds. And they've just lost the series to the Giants here. So their record's starting to even back out a little bit. It was a lot hotter. I believe they are out to 7-3. and three. Um, Now they're at 7-5. and five. So they're starting to come back down to earth just a little bit here. But 7-5 and five record is not bad for the Reds currently. Being atop the NL Central, I didn't expect them after these first few games to be atop the NL Central. I thought they had a possibility to get to that two spot at some point. But to be atop the NL Central right now, I would say that's the biggest shock. That's a really big shock to me currently. I just don't think they can keep this momentum going all throughout the season. It's a long, long MLB season. And unless you truly have some star players, I don't know if you can necessarily keep up all this phenomenal play. They have a lot of good role players. And Mike Moustakis has also played really well to start. He's brought a really nice leadership to this team. I, I just don't think they can keep it going. So for me, they're pretenders. But I think they could compete within the NL Central the rest of the way. I don't think they're just going to fall out of the contention in the NL Central. But in terms of where the rest of the league's at, they're going to fall behind a lot of these other teams. Especially some of the teams that haven't started out that great, like the Yankees, White Sox, and the Athletics. They're eventually going to catch up and pass these Reds teams when they currently sit behind them. Next up is the Red Sox. They have a record of 8-3. and three. Are they contenders or pretenders? I think they're contenders. They've played, they started slow, uh, losing a couple, but they've rattled off. I think it's uh, nine wins in a row or something of that nature. They've, they've been hot. And I think, of course, they're going to regress to the mean a little bit, but there's more talent on this team than showed up last season. J.D. Martinez is going to have a better year. I think Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers are going to come together and play pretty well, as well as Christian Vasquez. There are questions about the pitching. If you're going to see Alex Verdugo start regularly and injuries on that, uh, the rotation is definitely a question, but right now they're playing very well. And I think even as they kind of regress towards their true talent, they're still going to be a contender in the NL East or 
for one of those wild card spots. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. I'm gonna go contender. That's the funny thing about the Red Sox. It seems like they always kind of they win the World Series, then they kind of just fall off a little bit, and they're kind of gone. You don't really talk about for a while, and then here they come out of nowhere. They start to really catch fire again. They've done it this past decade, the times that they've won. I guess the previous decade, excuse me. The times they've won, they've kind of fallen off a little bit, and then they come back. I think it's a big credit, too, to Alex Cora coming back. I think it's pretty obvious that he he was the right move bringing him back. Now, you can argue whether uh, the cheating scandal and all that, that's a different argument. But he is just, he's a really good manager, in my opinion, and bringing him back, I think, is a big reason that we've seen this team get turned around and get out to this hot start. And when you look at this team, too, they have some players that you can say, okay, they can make some make a run with. I talked about with the Reds. You need you need some of those bigger-name guys to kind of keep this team afloat. I really do believe the Red Sox have some of those guys, specifically, like you said, J.D. Martinez. He's a guy that I think is a really good baseball player and can be kind of that focal point and also that leader of this team to get them where they want to go. So for me, I think they are pretenders. Can they keep up? This type of pace, probably not, but I, I think they can get in. I think they are a team that can get into the playoffs. And if they get in, I think they are the most dangerous there because all they need is opportunity because this team is better than a lot of people think. Next up is the San Francisco Giants out to an 8-4 and four start after their sweep of the Cincinnati Reds that we talked about earlier in this last series. Or series win, not a sweep, excuse me. Are they contenders or pretenders? I think they're pretenders. Uh, looking at the run differential, they're only plus three, which, you know, it's very early in the season, so that's not a huge indicator. But uh, just plus three for their Pythagorean wins, they would be six and five if it was their, like, true winning percentage. And I think some guys are overperforming a little. We've seen their pitching be very good, and I think it's going to, you know, like I said before, regress to the mean. I think they're probably slightly sub-500, but they can still be a good team. They're just not this good. That's that's my only problem. They're not going to be this good. Yeah, I'm going to say pretender as well. But I think this team has a real possibility to go get that wild card, one of those wild card spots in the NL. I do think that they can do that. Some of the players, you talked about some players overperforming. One that sticks out to me right at the bats, Evan Longoria. He's been a guy that when he got his big contract to come to the Giants, everyone expected him to be really good. Never really got to that. And this season, he's starting to live up to that a little bit. Just early in the season here, already has four home runs. And he's been a great piece for this Giants team. They're starting to get a really good play out of Brandon Crawford again. He's been a guy that last season kind of fell off a little bit, but he's coming back and doing well. And one guy that I'm sure the Giants are just very happy to have back is their catcher, Buster Posey. He's come back and in a big way for this team. He's just such a leader. And for the decade, this past decade, you could argue he's the best catcher of the decade. He was phenomenal within it. Dealt with injury, but having him back is huge. Like you said, the pitching has been really good. But at the same time, I do think this team has enough. Last season, we saw the bats come to play towards the end of the year. 
and their pitch starting pitching played well, and it was the bullpen that really struggled and cost them an opportunity to try to get a while into a wild card spot. This year, the bullpen has let them down a couple times, but they've played relatively well. That's my biggest question. Can they keep that up? Because I know this Giants bullpen is not necessarily the greatest, but if they can keep that up, I do think they can slip into the playoffs. And Johnny Cueto has to find a way to stay healthy. Dealt with injuries last year and today, pulled himself out after five and a half innings. He has to find a way to stay healthy. That concludes this episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on Facebook, give us a like at Unsportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on Instagram or Twitter, give us a follow and check out our social media pages at KALA underscore UC. Make sure you're on the lookout next week as Tuesday we will post a story giving some hints as to who our athlete of the week is. And if you can guess that athlete athlete right, you will get a shout out on next week's show. Thank you for listening and good night. See ya.